Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Prez. If you would grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles all throughout the room. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If we haven't met, my name is Dustin. I get to be the pastor here, and we're going through the Lord's Prayer. Last week, if you were here, we heard from church planter Tommy Allen, and uh, we're back now this Sunday into the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read all of the Lord's Prayer, but we're really just going to focus on verse 11 today. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, with that in mind, friend, grab a Bible. Open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you need a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles, page 964. With that in mind, friend, hear the words of Jesus Christ to us. I'd love for everybody to have God's word out in front of them. Jesus said, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask now in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, for the glory of the Father's name. Lord, that we would have ears that are open, eyes to see, and mouths that are hungry for the bread of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, uh, you know, I have kids, and they always want, like, digital toys. You know what I'm talking about? Like, analog toys aren't really fun. So for everybody maybe, like, 20 years and younger in the room, I'm going to tell you about way back in the olden days, we had toys that didn't have screens, and one of those old toys that maybe you've heard of, youngins, is called a kaleidoscope. Does anybody know what a kaleidoscope was? Is? I don't know if they still make them. I tried to find them. I couldn't find one. Okay, so this is actually what kids used to do for fun. They used things like kaleidoscopes. Could you imagine that, kids? A kaleidoscope. Okay, how does a kaleidoscope actually work? You know, it's kind of like this long thing, and you look through it, and what do you see? You see colors. Doesn't this sound like a great toy? <laughs> you see colors. Well, now, what's the beautiful thing about a kaleidoscope? You turn it, and then what happens? The colors all change, right? And then if you turn it one more time, what happens? The colors all change, but it's only one toy. Uh, well, I want you to keep that image, if you can imagine that kaleidoscope, in mind. Because what you and I are going to do is we're going to look at that one verse, Matthew 6, 11, Give us this day our daily bread. But I want us to look at it through sort of three lenses. And although that may sound really simple, uh, a kaleidoscope is also simple, but it's also beautiful when you can see it through different lenses. And Christians throughout history have looked at that little phrase, Give us this day our daily bread through three different lenses. So that's what we're going to do this morning. The first lens I want you to see is when Jesus teaches you and me, his followers, his disciples, to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. We have to understand the first meaning of that is simply that you and I are supposed to pray for our basic necessities of life, the food, right? So the first lens you could say is food. I'll give you the three lenses right now. If you want a three-point sermon and a poem at the end, I've got three points, but no poem. Ready? The first point is food. Then the second lens we're going to look at is famine. And then the last one is feast. What do I mean by food? Well, look down at the Lord's Prayer for just a second. 
Notice in verse 9, Jesus says that you and I are supposed to pray like this. And if you haven't heard me say this before, friends, this is the most profound teaching on prayer in human history. This, nothing more profound on prayer has ever been said than Jesus' simple yet profound teaching on prayer. And this prayer is not just something to be said quickly and rotely. It's something to be focused on and to think about and use as an outline to expand to think deeply about these words. And that's what we're doing by going through it sentence by sentence. But notice right there that there's three things that we ask for at the beginning that pertain to God. And then notice the second half are three things that pertain to our everyday life. Look at verse nine. Our Father in heaven, number one, Lord, may your name be hallowed. The second petition in verse 10, your kingdom come. Number three, your will be done. So the first three petitions are for God's name to be hallowed, God's kingdom to come, and for God's will to be done. But notice in verse 11, we get three different requests. Now the attention focuses on us and our relationships and our everyday life. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice that shift. In verse 11, we're seeing now we're asking God for the day-to-day thing. So what are we supposed to see when it says pray for daily bread? Well, that reminds many of us of the great Old Testament story about the bread from heaven. What's it called? Does anybody remember? Exodus 16. You know, uh, teachers in the room, this is what you call a what? An object lesson. (laughs) God's like, you don't have enough food in the wilderness. I'm going to make the heavens rain down food for you. But here's the catch. Could you keep the bread overnight? What would happen to the manna if you tried to stockpile all of the bread overnight? What would happen to the manna in the Old Testament? It would spoil and be full of worms, right? And so what would you think God was trying to get at when he said, every day you are in the famine and in the wilderness, I'm going to give you just what you need for today? Teachers in the room, what do you think Jesus's or or God's pedagogical purpose was? What was his teaching desire? Teaching his people to do what? Trust him day by day. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He says that in this very chapter itself. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has all of the reasons for anxiety all by itself. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to give you bread, but just enough for today. And in fact, I'm going to make this big old bright, shiny thing. I'm going to make it hide all night long so that you get into a rhythm of life of day-by-day living. And you learn to trust me day-by-day. So what do we pray for when you and I say, Father, give us this day our daily bread? Well, the Westminster Catechism, a great summary of faith, says when we pray the fourth petition, you know, the first three were God's name, kingdom, will. The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. We pray that God's free gift would give us a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Now, some of you, though, may be thinking, I don't actually ever worry about eating. I mean, come on. We don't don't live in the third world, you know? This isn't 2,000 years ago. Maybe back then people had to worry about their food, but I've never worried about my food. Well, it reminds me of the 1965 film, Shenandoah. Did anybody ever see that movie? It has Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart in the movie, uh, he has a wife who dies, and he has left a widower with young children. And like many families, the wife was the religious one, and the husband was the grumpy one. And Jimmy Stewart is looking at his kids at the dinner table, and mom's not there anymore to pray the blessing over the meal. So the kids say, Dad, you've got to pray. 
And Jimmy Stewart, sounding like a lot of men, says this is his prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same, Lord, for the food we're about to eat. Amen. (laughs) Of course, by the end of the movie, Jimmy Stewart has a change of heart. And I would be tempted to suggest to you that you don't think you're vulnerable or in need. You know, it's been said before, why would I say, God, give me this food? I don't worry about that. But actually, I think, if anything, the last three years has been helpful in reminding each one of us just how vulnerable we really are. I mean, if you're not worried about food, you're probably not paying attention. Have you been to the grocery store and tried to buy some eggs lately? (laughs) The price of eggs is reminding us how vulnerable you and I actually are. Uh, DJ Murata, pastor in Richmond, Virginia, uh, he put it this way. He said, the coronavirus did not make us more vulnerable than we were already. It just revealed our vulnerability to us. And so we immediately started stockpiling. What does Jesus say in this very chapter? He says, the rhythm of life, the way Christians live day by day, is to pray to their Father, give me what I need to get through today. And then God wants you to trust him that he's going to provide. Jesus says multiple times, your Father in heaven already knows what you need. He already knows what you need. Why don't you trust him? Um, You know, here's the irony. You could stockpile all you want, and guess what? It's never enough. You know why? Because stockpiles go bad, and then you become even more psycho about the stockpile. (laughs) What does Jesus say? Same passage, Sermon on the Mount. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, Think about it this way. Let's do a thought experiment. Do you really approach God like a child who knows their parent? Let's do a thought experiment for just a second, because that's how Jesus is teaching you and I to pray to God, that he is a father who actually loves us, who knows everything that we need he's going to provide for us. Right? That's the kind of relationship that Jesus Christ offers us is to be reconciled to the Father so that he can show us what his character is actually like. We were always wrong about him. He loves us and he is good and true. And he wants us to trust him as Father. Now, think about it. Let's do a thought experiment, okay? Excuse me, I've got a little tickle in my throat. Um, Let's do a thought experiment, okay? Let's say that you have a seven-year-old daughter. Anyone ever lucky enough to have a seven-year-old daughter? Okay, let's say you have this sinking suspicion, though, that your daughter's hiding something underneath the mattress in her room. There's this big old, like, you know, thing underneath her mattress. And you go into a room, and you lift up the mattress, and you find a giant, like, 20-pound pile of M&Ms. And you're like, daughter, what have you done? And she's like, well, I'm just stockpiling all the M&Ms because I want to eat them when I can. Now, what would any good parent say? Okay, we're getting rid of the M&Ms, and I'll give you some candy, but you're going to rot your teeth out if you eat 20 pounds of M&Ms, right? (laughs) Now imagine, though, You go to your seven-year-old daughter's room. You see this funny thing underneath the mattress, and you lift it up, and it's just a bunch of boxes of cereal. You say, come here, you know, sweetie. Why why are you stockpiling a bunch of cereal? And she says, because I I don't know if we're going to have breakfast anymore. 
I, I don't know that I have any food to eat ever. What would any parent do? Any loving parent would say what? Sweetie, we're going to put the cereal back in the pantry, and I want you to trust me that I love you, and you are going to have breakfast. You see how different that is? When Jesus tells you, Christian, your Father in heaven already knows what you need, so don't worry about the stockpile. Trust that the Father's going to give you everything that you need. Do you see how that's a relationship more than it is treating God like the grocer at the grocery store? Yes, you and I are vulnerable. You know, the last three years have reminded us all exactly how vulnerable we are. But the hope of the gospel, Christian, God's grace, is he teaches you and I to approach God like he's a father who loves you, who can say things like, okay, get rid of the M&Ms. <laughs> Let me take the cereal and trust me that I'll give you the breakfast that you need every day. Friends, the antidote to anxiety is not more and more things. As much as every marketing agency would ever tell you, the answer is not more and more things. The answer and the antidote to anxiety is setting your eyes on the Father who loves you and trusting Him. It's daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. But you may be thinking, well, okay, fine, Dustin, but I've never actually worried about my food. Isn't this still some kind of silly prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. I've got all the food I need. I never worry about whether or not I'm going to have lunch. Many of you are not wondering if you're going to have lunch today. You're just wondering if you're going to eat out or go home and make something for yourself. Well, what do we say to that objection? Or maybe a more profound way of asking that is, yeah, Dustin, we have food, but that's because we're blessed and we have a lot of money and we live in America, and I'm not worried about hungry. What about all the other people? What about the poor in the world? What about the poor right now in our valley, living by the street, who don't have food? What about the poor in the Pacific Northwest or the poor all around the world? What about them? Doesn't God love them? Where's their food? Well, hopefully this is something you've caught from our time together. But notice that the Lord's Prayer is never just me and God. It's not my Father. It's what? Our Father. It's not give me my food. It's what? Give us our food. Forgive us, all of us, our sins. When you and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, Christian, notice in the kaleidoscope, there's a minor color. There's an undercurrent. And when you and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, Christian, we remember the poor, and we pray that God would provide everything that they need. If you have enough food for today, praise God. Pray for your poor brothers and sisters in our valley and in our region around the world. You know, um, <clears throat> years ago when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in college. Um, I didn't have the language back then because it didn't exist. But uh, the language I would use retroactively to describe what I did is I deconstructed my faith. I was raised fundamentalist Baptist, and I deconstructed all of it, and I hated Christianity, and I hated the church especially, and I hated religious leaders. Ironically, I became one. But what happened in my faith journey was I read the Gospel of John. I read the Gospel of John, and I met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and he changed my life. And ever since then, I've been like, I'm go if Jesus is true, I'm with him. If he's wrong, I'm going down with him. <laughs> Jesus is my guy. And it was all through opening a door through the gospel of John. 
But as soon, as soon as I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I didn't understand everything. I didn't understand all the points of doctrine. I couldn't have explained the Trinity, could not have explained the reason for the church's moral teachings. But I knew that Jesus was true. And immediately upon coming to faith in Jesus Christ, you know what happened simultaneously to my conversion? I saw the poor differently. The same week that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I met a homeless man. Do you think it was that the homeless man didn't exist until my conversion? Or do you think it's something like scales had to fall off my eyes to see them for the first time? I met him, and I realized he needed food. And I had no money. I didn't have a job. I was a poor college student. But I just felt compelled to provide him food. So I took him down to the, to the Chevron uh, in my college town, which is famous for making the greatest meal on earth. It's called chicken on a stick. That's what it is. It's fried chicken on a kebab stick. Uh, if you eat a lot of it, you'll meet God soon, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I bought him chicken on a stick, and I bought him some Gatorade. And I remember, I remember looking at the bag of food being like, oh my gosh, I just spent like $30. I don't even have that much money right now. But it just felt right. And then, you know what else I did? I let him come into my dorm and take a shower because I said, how else can I help you? And he said, I need to take a shower. And so I lived in the athletic dorm at the SEC school I attended. I, I lived with a bunch of football players and basketball players who pretended like I was one of them. I'm not a college athlete, but I lived in the dorm. I weaseled my way in, but that's a story for another time. But I remember taking him in and saying, you can take a shower. Here's my soap. I'll give you a towel. I remember him leaving the shower all dressed and clean, and he had the biggest smile. And then he hit the road. Never saw him again. Very soon after that, I joined the Episcopalian Church's soup kitchen every week. You know, we did every Thursday, we would go and we would make meals on wheels and bring them to homeless people, poor people. I had a guy pull a gun on me one time, but that's, again, another story for another time. But friend, what I want you to see is that coming to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's two sides of a coin. There's the gospel message of repenting from your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ, and there is a new heightened concern for the poor, the distressed, and those in sorrow. I can prove it to you. Um, if you go to the book of Galatians, um, Galatians is a great book, very complicated. Uh, one of the wounds that I carry in my soul is during seminary, I had to translate all of Galatians out of the original Greek. I still haven't emotionally recovered from that endeavor. <laughs> But in Galatians, it's very fascinating because the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He meets him in the flesh. He sees him, and he gives his life to Jesus on the Emmaus Road, excuse me, um, the road to Damascus. But what's interesting is the other 12 apostles, they're like, who is this Paul guy? And so there's a meeting. Did you know there was a meeting between James and Peter, and John, and Paul. It's like the Justice League of theologians. It's literally like, you know, like, uh, what's the Marvel equivalent of the Justice League? The what? The Avengers. It's like the Avengers are together for the first time. In Galatians, Paul says, I was preaching the gospel of grace, and then I had to meet with Peter, and James, and John. And notice what happens. Look at this. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, When James and Cephas, that's Aramaic for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, pillars of what? Of the church. When they perceived the grace that has been given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
Only they asked us to what? Remember the poor, the very thing I was already eager to do. Think about that. Peter, James, John, and Paul are having a meeting about the gospel. And they say, Paul, you have the gospel right. Only don't forget the poor. And what does Paul say? I'm already on it. I'm already on it. I was already eager to do it. Friends, it's exciting seeing our church growing. It really is. It's exciting to see people come to faith, being baptized. It's exciting seeing people in small groups and kids ministry and our disability. All that's very, very exciting. But friends, as our church grows, it is incumbent upon us that we not forget the what. What do you think Peter and James and John would say? Oh, you're growing. People are coming to faith. The gospel's going forth. Praise God. Only don't forget whom? The poor. One of the ways we can do this as a church is by supporting our deacons. Uh, Our deacons are the people who care for the physical needs of a church. Uh, The elders lead the spiritual needs. The deacons are the physical needs. Uh, Earlier this year, thanks to Pastor Richard and some of the deacons, we now designated one of the giving boxes. It's actually right behind you in that corner right there as the deacons box. And anything that goes into that box there is going to be given to the deacons. And the deacons are going to use that money, all of it, not to buy cookies, although cookies are great, but they're going to use it to give to the poor in our valley. Isn't that beautiful? That's the first lens. First lens, Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily needs. He's teaching you to take it day by day, to trust the Father. Stop hoarding the cereal, so to speak. And if you have all the cereal you need, the gospel compels you to not forget the poor. That's the first lens. Second lens. The second lens I want you to see is a famine. The first lens was food. The second lens is a famine. And I want to declare to you today, on behalf of the Lord, that you and I are living during a time of famine. We are living in a famine. I don't mean that in a post-apocalyptic, scary way. Uh, (laughs) Actually, I mean it in a pre-apocalyptic way, (laughs) technically. Uh, But this is what I mean. You and I, when you, whether you realize it or not, I'm not talking about the price of eggs right now. I'm speaking spiritually right now. You and I, we live in the midst of a famine. What kind of famine do you find yourself in? Amos 8, the great Old Testament prophet, he put it this way. This is Amos 8, 11, page 915. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of food, not a famine of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord God. If you wanted to describe the world that you and I live in right now, it's a world of famine where people do not hear the words of God. That counts for Christians, and it counts for the world that does not know God yet. Uh, Every year, uh, excuse me, every two years, Ligonier Ministries, uh, started by R.C. Sproul, they do something called the State of Theology. And they poll Americans to find out what do evangelical, Bible-believing Christians believe. And guess what? Every two years, it becomes more and more apparent that Christians do not know the Word of God. They do not know the basics of Christianity. Step outside the church, 
Think about your neighbors who don't know God. Think about your family members, your coworkers. They are hungry. They are thirsty to know God. We live in the midst of a famine. And you have the words of life. You have the bread of life. If you're willing to share from your wallet, why not share from your heart? Why not share from your lap and give the word of God to them? How do we get people into the word? Um, I can't do it for you. Uh, It's like, how do you learn to shoot a free throw? You just got to start practicing. (laughs) How do Christians get into the word of God? Just do it every day. What does Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. There's no substitute for daily reading God's word. Every morning, begin with looking to the word of God. You and I, we live in a famine. You know, another um, way you could do that, you'll find out next week. If you're wondering how you could share food to people who are in a famine of knowing God's word, next week we're going to talk about how you can share the gospel of John with somebody. Uh, It converted me as a deconstructed millennial in college who didn't like church, okay? The gospel of John is powerful because it's the living word of God. It is able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And before the word of God, we are all naked. The word of God is powerful. You know, St. Basil, uh, he lived in the 300s. I like St. Basil. I know I'm weird. St. Basil said, the food in your pantry that's uh, getting mold belongs to the poor. The clothes that you have that are mildewing belong to those who are naked. Christian, the word of God that has been deposited into your soul is meant to be shared with those who need to know the gospel. Are you sharing, not just out of your wallet, but are you sharing the word of God? You know, um, one of my favorite Old Testament stories, uh, it means a lot to me, is 2 Kings chapter 22. It's easy to remember, 2 Kings 22, you know, all twos. Uh, It's a great story. Maybe you've never heard it. Uh, But there was a king. His name was King Josiah. He was a very good king. You should name your sons Josiah. He's a very good king. One of the few. Uh, During his uh, previous administrations, the previous kingdoms, they had all declined. And King Josiah knew that the temple was struggling in Israel. It had fallen into decay. And so King Josiah calls his secretary, you know, his assistant, and he says, Hilkiah, go find out how much silver and gold there is in the kingdom and in the temple. Go in the temple, find out how much silver and gold there is, and we'll rebuild the temple. We'll bring back the glory of the temple using the silver and the gold. Hilkiah goes, some of you know this story, and he goes into the temple, and he comes back, but he doesn't bring any silver or gold. What does Hilkiah bring? He says, King, we found a book. And you know what the book was? The book was the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. King Josiah proceeded to read for the first time in his life the Word of God. And he realizes Israel was not following the Word of God. It did not know about the great festivals, the feasts, the Day of Atonement. did not know the Ten Commandments. And Josiah, like a good king, tears his clothes. And you know what he does? He calls everybody together. He says, the great, the small, the rich, the poor, men, women, kids, everybody gets convened in Jerusalem. And you know what he does? 
He has the priests read the word of God to everybody. And Josiah rebuilt the temple. He rebuilt the kingdom. But he did it with the word of God, not just the silver and the gold. Christian, you and I live in a famine. People don't know their right hand from their left, as Jonah would say. But you have the bread of life. You have the word of God in your lap. (laughs) And Jesus says, ask me and you can have it every day. That's the second lens. The final lens, as I finish up, is simply the feast. The first lens was food. We pray that God would give us what we need. We pray that we would trust him day to day. We pray for the poor. We remember that they need what we have. The second lens is we look at the famine that you and I find ourselves in, and we commit ourselves to reading the daily bread of God's word. The third lens I want you to see is actually right in front of you. It's at the center of our church for a reason. I moved the pulpit to the side for a reason. Historically, this has always been the center of every Christian church. It's the communion table where you and I partake of the greatest food that you and I would ever need. But this isn't just about bread and a cup. It's about recognizing that when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, and when we partake and come to his table, we are remembering that we need spiritual food. And that food is spiritual fuel. You know, several years ago, I took a a week-long camping trip where we just started in one spot and we hiked through the mountains in North Carolina. And after a couple days, I realized that all of my food was going to come out of a bag. (laughs) And I remember we all got kind of discouraged because we just wanted like real coffee and real food. And the lady leading the the backpacking trip told us, food is fuel. (laughs) She's giving me an object lesson, right? The fuel for the journey was the food that we had. Wasn't about whether or not it tasted good. Friends, communion is fuel for your spiritual journey. You know why? You know, Christians historically have taken it every morning. You know that? As early as like the 300s, they were taking communion every morning. That, that's how they understood this verse to apply. Give us this day our daily bread. What's the best, what's the best bread I could ever eat? Communion. Let's do it every morning. Um, we only do it once a month on the first Sunday of the month. Wish we did it every week, but that's another discussion. But they saw it as spiritual fuel to follow Jesus Christ. How is communion spiritual fuel? You think, I think it tastes bad. You're focusing on the wrong part. When you and I take communion, what you and I are profoundly remembering and stepping into is the reality that Jesus Christ went all in for you. We remember that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, that he died experiencing the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be reconciled to the Father by faith. And when Jesus stood before the disciples and said, this is my body, which is about to be broken on a cross for you, and this is my blood, which will flow from my body for you to wipe away all of your sins, Jesus was telling those apostles and telling you and me, he was all in. Isaiah said he set his face like a flint and he would not turn away. And when you and I come to the table 
and we remember that Jesus went all in, we are testifying and recommitting ourselves that what? That we are all in with Jesus. We are all in. What he says is true is true. What he says is wrong is wrong. And one day he will return. Christian, are you all in? Let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you that you give us not just physical food. You don't just give us the poor in our midst. You don't just give us your daily word. You also give us spiritual fuel for the journey. Jesus, I praise you that you went all in, that you are the bread of life, that you are the manna from heaven, that you are teaching us even now to trust you day by day. Uh, Lord, we right now confess that our anxieties have weighed us down, but tomorrow's anxieties, Lord, we just cast to tomorrow. We're just thankful you're here with us now today. And Father, as children who know that you love us, we ask, give us what we need today. Give us food, give us your word, and feed us with the spiritual fuel to get us through this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.